good evening, good morning, whatever time you're listening to this. Uh, this <laughs> since is we're since we're like such an international podcast. Yes, uh, yes, the <laughs> estranged industrial complex, <laughs> audio industrial complex. Um, well, what time is it here? It's like three thirty p.m. Yeah, something like that. I'm still four, drinking actually. my four. I'm still drinking my morning coffee. I haven't finished it yet. <laughs> it's been a slow day. Um, we are re-recording this episode of the podcast. Maybe for the better. Maybe for the better. Yeah, I felt like we recorded it really late after we got back from a restaurant the other day. So we may not have been on form, but maybe we're going to be less on form today. Yeah, because the second time is farce. And First is tragedy, then is yeah. farce. <laughs> who was it? Is that Marx who said that? I mean, who, who said it originally? It's obviously the title of a Zizek book. Uh, I'm not sure, actually, who said that. I don't. I think it's actually not like a like a good guy, not like a philosopher that you know is like kind of like we no, agree no, with. No, I think it's somebody maybe else. like it's been cited a number of times, but I swear there's something to do with Marx in relation to it. I don't know. Not an expert. Yeah. We were just um, in the middle of a conversation about Taylor Swift, and then we pressed record. So I don't know if you want to go there or not. <laughs> Hot <laughs> well, take central. We'll we'll leave it to nature. Like you know, if it happens, if it happens, it happens. Yeah, yeah. Yes, if it happens, it happens. <laughs> Uh, Adrian was in an Uber last night and sent me a video of, uh, I was like, it was maybe I was in bed, it was midnight, and you sent me a text saying, listen to this shit, and it was the yeah. the mono the monotone chorus of a Taylor Swift song. Not that, like, I mean, mm. that's fine, but it's just quite funny as soon as you notice the... You can't unnotice it. Well, do you think that maybe there's something about millennials that they just want to sound like they're stuck in one note Ooh. <laughs> sometimes the cigar is just a cigar i don't know i mean there's this whole thing about um but it's all apparently over apparently that song is called style taylor swift song apparently it's the most averaged song mm-hmm. so i mean i guess you'd know more about this than me but it's the song some scientist did a statistical or a mathematician did a statistician did a statistical analysis of pop songs and how to predict what pop song is going to be successful and apparently there's a correlation between a hit and how averaged it is as in like how many different genres are contained within it how easy it is to remember how easy it is to remember how Mm -hmm. so um taylor swift obviously has like pop and then she has like country originally she has all these different like influences yeah i don't know this sounds like justification to me yeah (laughs) there was this bbc documentary a few years ago they like tried to produce an average song but mm-hmm. they couldn't get it averaged enough and it wasn't very good and it didn't really work. But yeah. apparently, yeah, this is that's the song around which all averaged songs, not as in average, but averaged, you know, so like, yeah. I don't know what a good analogy would be, but, um, you know, there's, there's this thing that you can see on the internet where they look at averaged faces. Mm-hmm. So, and averaged faces look really, really, really attractive. So it's like, this is what the average person from X country looks like and they just pile... Th- pile on top of each other all right they blend together hundreds and hundreds of faces of a woman and the average face looks incredible and when i saw that i was like wow everyone's so hot but it's actually just because everyone's so hot (laughs) and actually the english one looked really attractive but um did you (laughs) it's just because it's just everything melded together and you get no outliers yeah did you see that i don't know if it was the new york times or something like that that uh they did this sort of like digital mesh of uh different people to Mm -hmm. see what would the average person look like in like 80 years from now or something like that it might have been less but it was just like this kind of like weird kind of like 
I don't know. It's I would say it's like be some somewhere in between like an Ethiopian woman mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit of Asian there, and then just like oh, so know, like Nordic. as in a kind of like global person, a global person. Yeah, I didn't see that name. Uh, yeah, I don't, I can't believe you haven't seen it. it. Was like really going all over the place. No, I didn't see that. I'll have to look. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, it was a. I think you know. It's a good-looking human, good I think. Looking, yeah. Interesting. I will. I'll check it out. Uh, so today we are going to talk about the film Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and yeah. we did this podcast already from our second daddy. From our second daddy, did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, oh, the man that can do no wrong as a filmmaker. Yeah, I just, <laughs> words do not begin to describe how how good his films are. Yeah. How not good, how amazing. Very deep. They're like deep cuts. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Ansandi just I can't even speak. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. You're 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 um speechless. I am speechless. Our friend actually just discovered that he's going to be in the Dune movie, which is quite exciting. You predicted this the other day, you were like, Oh, I wondered, has David got a role? Yeah, I was freaking out when he said it. Yes, I mean exactly. it was I'm really, really excited that he's going to be in that. Actually, mm. he's trending pretty hard right now. I was on really well. I was on Reddit, and there's a as like he has a picture of him, mm. and then you know the announcement. Mm-hmm. And I think he has like Did eight thousand likes, which Did is a lot. The, f- the front page of Reddit was on the like, yeah. Was well, you know, yeah, it's so a, a, I'm really like, excited for him. Just like the movies subreddit, but it had mm. a lot of likes, and people were like really he's talking really highly of him. Just so good to work with. Yeah. Um such a good artist yeah I, I he's a fantastic person great um, look yeah he has a very amazing screen presence and he's a kind of i mean guess like you know character actor but um i don't actually know i never watched the original tune so i don't know what the character is he's playing but it's exciting <laughs> and we just cannot get enough of denny film so. yeah i think he's playing sort of I, I don't remember exactly who it is but i think it's sort of like the right hand man of mm-hmm. the main bad guy okay but just like this really psychotic person that like, you know very um sadistic mm-hmm. he tends to play crazy but i guess in making love he was a neurotic rather than a psychotic yeah <laughs> um yes so we came up with a number of themes last time in relation to to this film and mm-hmm. i've written them down one of them is dystopia my my disjoined itunes note, uh, itunes iphone notes dystopia you had a great insight about dystopia so it'll be really fun to get into that uh and then we'll it's nice that you took the notes because i can't even remember what i had for breakfast yesterday like i have such terrible memory i really don't remember a lot of the things that we said but you know oh, now that give me too much credit because i'm such a disorganized person i think maybe because <laughs> i'm so disorganized i have to be like right write it down no, but it's coming back to me now. Yeah, the, and we talked about fantasy. Now. You had a really good, great point about the character Joy. Mm-hmm. We talked about contingency, um, this kind of thematic structure of the first Blade Runner compared to this Blade Runner, and how that compares to the 1980s versus the 2010s. And then we also... You want to start with that? I think that's a good... Yeah. Start. So this is, this is all you. I don't think I had that many good insights last time, but you came up with a really good point about how um i actually shouldn't say it because i'm like stealing your words so no no but it's uh so it's a i think that to me what's interesting and maybe it has something to do with how we experience reality mm-hmm. as millennials 
as opposed to baby boomers but it's like the first blade runner is about a human that has a hunch that maybe he's a replicant mm -hmm. and the new blade runner is about a replicant that has a hunch that mm -hmm. he might be human mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah i I don't know. I think that maybe there's something there that yeah, that kind of reversal is is about something. Yeah, it's almost. Uh, and this was again we've talked about this before about like '68 and like that's a kind of baby boomer. Uh, I don't want to say revolutionary period because I don't think it's ended up in revolution at all. But protest period. But there has been some constructive change as well. Don't want to throw it all out. Um, but yeah, the idea was that being a pervert was the ultimate anti-capitalistic move. And so it's like how to get out of the capitalist system by being different. Sure. And so, yeah, the film is about a person who is a, appears to be a human who won't, well, he doesn't want to, but who has a hunch that he's something different. Yeah. And this film is about an alienated individual. Yeah. <laughs> as in a replicant wanting to just be normal, <laughs> to be yeah. a person. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and I think there's something to that. I mean. Possessed by labor. Yeah, she's kind of, he's like the proletarian who just wants in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so sad. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, no, but, but uh, that. we talked a little bit about this of how he goes to get sort of like checkups. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing they're like testing his OS or whatever. But um, yeah, he, they tell him a sort it's not a question, but it's something that resembles sort of a question because it has a second part that mm -hmm. it's kind of like dictated as an answer. Mm -hmm. But he's given both. So that's the test. Mm -hmm. Like he's been like, you know, the, the part of our cells interlinked and all that. Yeah, between cells interlinked. So yeah. uh, it gives him a, a sort of question and the answer as well. So mm -hmm. he has absolutely no agency, which is mm -hmm. like, uh, also a concept that we talked about in the second episode. The whole agency thing with hereditary but mm -hmm. um yeah i think that that's a very interesting sort of mark of the oppressive certainty mm -hmm. that sometimes i think a lot of people our age might feel do you know it's interesting because there's a psychoanalytic insight about um achieving the lost object which is this ultimate fantasy of kind of returning to this womb-like state pre-language and having this in inciting the desire of your primary caregiver and that this time pre-language I've just had a a nephew and it's interesting watching him it's like the child doesn't know what it wants it cries and the mother tells him you're hungry eat yep. so he doesn't have any agency and we try by attempting to re to achieve the lost object to return to a state of no agency mm-hmm but we don't want no agency either, you yeah. know? So mm -hmm. as an alienation, you know, as a, whether we've, we're talking about a lot in this podcast, being a millennial and being estranged as such. Mm -hmm. And all these factors that have uh, compounded silently over the years and accumulated in relation to labor and being young and all these factors whereby numerically perhaps yeah we, we are at a point of less than zero <laughs> yeah in terms of debts and low wages and opportunities isn't it also kind of parallel to this idea the whole identity politics thing mm -hmm. is trying to i mean mistakenly i think trying to prop up the idea of the particular and trying mm. to kind of like maybe humanize oneself through these like particular identities well, it's interesting because there's a there's a very like dialectical 
bothness to identity politics in relation to um, how one defines oneself. Mm. Being unique, but being unique through certain universals. So saying like, as a female, da-da-da-da-da, X, Y, Z, all these kind of... So, so defining oneself as a unique constellation of commonalities yeah. rather than being unique in your universality. Yeah, no, and I think what I'm saying is that, like, there's a, identity politics maybe are a sort of, like, uh, compensatory mechanism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, I Because see, of I see. the estrangement that we feel yeah. with, with labor. So it's almost like a, a desperation to define. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. As and, in, well, it's interesting because labor under capitalism can be identity. You know, we, we, we talked about this in terms of La La Land, that we often define ourselves by our work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we spend the majority of our lives working. And you were talking about love as well. We often now relate to each other in terms of, well, we commodify our position uh, within the capitalist system to sell ourselves as a loving, an object to be loved by somebody else. Yeah. But yeah, you're not even having a, I mean, one of the first questions you might ask somebody is at a party, what do you do? Yeah, it's always one of the first questions we ask. You know, potentially it's quite rude. Um, yeah, not <laughs> not even having the a labor identity, we uh, define ourselves by all these different factors. Yeah, and this this desperation for definition and delineation. You mm -hmm. were telling me that you spoke to a psychoanalyst recently who said that ninety percent of the people he sees now are psychotics. Yeah, and in the part like twenty years ago, it was neurotics. It seems insane that there's. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a Facebook group, and mm -hmm. uh, it, the the analyst was talking about that. There's. It used to be, maybe talking about sixty eight mm -hmm. analysts, that a lot of people that came to see analysts were neurotics. Mm -hmm. But now that there's some sort of like poverty of neurotics, mm -hmm. and that a lot of people, most of the people that go to psychoanalysis are psychotics. I mean, yeah, maybe. It I mean, a crazy number, but I guess I mean. So structurally, I can kind of understand it. I mean, there's things like people are more aware of um, apparently, you know, mental health issues and certain symptoms that might drive a person who is potentially psych psychotic to a, to a therapist or a psychoanalyst. But yeah, the idea of delineating oneself, yeah. obviously a symptom can kind of be an emergent of anything. Yeah. So just because one is trying to delineate in a given way doesn't mean that one is psychotic. But it is interesting that this bordering, this seeking to participate, or, you know, often kind of a psychotic thing is to is to create structure to be able to live in the world, find a way of being in the world, yeah. create certainty and sure. delineation and absolutes. Yeah. And almost as yeah, neurotic wants to, the, well, can maybe want to be uh, consumed by something. Yeah. Know, it's like the opposite of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think also, well, it, it might be kind of like an interesting statistic, even though it's not official, but, mm -hmm. you know, sadly, people that are going to get into psychoanalysis are probably of better means. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. You know, middle class or high mm -hmm. middle class, mm -hmm. high class. Um, so it might have to do with a shift in the sort of the, the psychological structure that people have uh, within that 
context. Within that context, of, yeah. yeah, interesting. But yeah, interesting. and and yeah. I was talking about like sort of like the surplus of identity politics that we have, trying to cover over the fact of our. Or, or trying to cover over our estrangement from yeah, that comes from labor. Uh, yeah. One of the reasons why I don't think that that works is, and and you know this is something that is very sort of Freudian thing, maybe mm-hmm. even a little bit Hegelian that we're not identical to ourselves. So yeah, absolutely. This this idea. I mean, we quoted this line from Hegel in uh, Making Love, but the mysteries of the Egyptians, the mysteries of the Egyptians themselves, like mm-hmm. to it's almost by dint of seeking to delineate yourself it almost exemplifies the fact that you don't know yourself and you can never really know yourself so yeah and yeah. sexual and sexuality and this this goes back to an ex- another example that mm. we need to talk about sexuality is sort of the breeding ground of antagonism mm. when it comes to Absolutely. who we mm-hmm. are not yeah. And okay, there's this beautiful example in the film that immediately when I saw it, I was like, okay, this is this is the perfect mm-hmm. sort of like representation of what what antagonism means, and it comes from the missing sort of elements when it comes to our desires mm-hmm. and our fantasies. Yeah. So what happens in the film is that uh, what's what's the guy's name? Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Uh, he has this sort of uh, hologram girlfriend that is custom made for his mm-hmm. desires and you know he obviously he's a replicant but mm-hmm. at the same time has implanted memories that make him have mm-hmm. some sort of drive and i think that's why he needs to have like the the os checks the the yeah the checks with the guy but um yeah anyway he at some point wants to sleep with a with a real with a real woman um so he brings her home and interestingly enough, the, the the hologram girlfriend's name is Joy. Mm-hmm. It was just like very similar to enjoyment or Jusan's yeah, it's a work. Psychoanalytic. Yeah, yeah, and also a theological term as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And what happens is that there, there's just, there's kind of like a it's not exactly a threesome, mm-hmm. but the the hologram is sort of projected or mm-hmm. or like like synthesizes with the real woman, mm-hmm. but it's never quite the same like there's yeah. a phasing issue yeah. that yeah, happens absolutely. when they're like uh, yeah. on top of each other mm-hmm. and yeah they kind of like do this dance of trying to kind of sync sync up with yeah. each other yeah and i think this is a, the perfect example of there is no sexual relationship yeah i um, know it is <sighs> we can't relate to each other directly mm-hmm. through sex yeah I, th- I can't remember if I've said this in a different pos- podcast or if it was in this the earlier recording of this episode, but there is a slight cliche, received wisdom, cliched um, interpretation of Freud that he's saying that, oh, as humans, we are just so obsessed with sex and sex is everything. But actually, it's more like we can't have sex. Animals can have sex. We can't without some covering over, without some supplemental fantasy. Most people, I think, have sex with their eyes closed. (laughs) You know, as in like people orgasm with their eyes closed. They're projecting some other image, supplemental image in their mind of whatever fantasy they have. Rather than actually being confronted with the physical body of the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, what's up with these people that have mirrors on top of their beds? Have you seen this? Yeah, I have. I know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that. Well, if that I would see my, thing? I if know. I would see myself engaging in yeah. in in a sexual act, uh, that would completely ruin it for me. That I couldn't do it. 
It's always sometimes <laughs> seeing even the other person when you're having sex is like it's weird to see a person. Um, Which there's something interesting that we're doing in a few months. That yes, we won't talk about it, but yeah, yeah, it's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's related to fantasy and surplus and sex. Um, sure. And it's a it's like a short film music video project. But yeah, um, it is. There's something we we. It's it's very alienating to see. It's funny we can watch a film with some very attractive person having sex and it all being very sexy. Um, I think about one of my favorite. Films. We have to do an episode on this: the Thomas Crown Affair with uh, Rene Russo and. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. There's just a very. Um, yeah, like long sex. I, just, I think I watched that one. I was like nine years old. I was like, ooh. Um, <laughs> wow. No, the you know like the this. I won't say sex scene, the sex like scenes. It goes on for quite a long yeah. time between segments. Segments yeah, yeah. between Rene Russo and Piss Brosnan. Um Yeah, no, we, we can't eat as humans, we can't work, we can't have sex. We have to relate to these things with some kind of supplemental fantasy. Mm -hmm. Food, yeah. you know, food should be the simplest thing. If we were just and this really does kind of elucidate how we are different from animals and why potentially people who are of a psychoanalytic bent would have a problem with evolutionary psychology or Jordan Peterson's comparison of humans to lobsters because like if you look at food humans if if, if it was just about pure fuel or uh, uh, like desire fulfilling a desire to eat we would just not have obesity we would not have anorexia we would not have elaborate processes around food you see Japan is a very clear example of the kind of um, ritualization of food. Um, we wouldn't go to restaurants. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't have birthday parties or Christmas where we go, like food is such a big thing. Yep. Um, if we could work, we wouldn't need like routines and schedules and be paid for it. You know, it's, 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 yep. it's um, yeah, all of these things kind of show that there's something supplemental to being human that is different from us being an animal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. There's also a great episode. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure, I don't actually I've never asked you if you like this this mm -hmm. this show, but uh there's a great episode of Black Mirror where I, Black Mirror, yeah. I think it's one of the it's maybe in the first season or mm -hmm. second one, but there's an episode where there's this sort of society that they can revisit their memories and sort of play them on TV. Mm -hmm. Uh so they have like this kind of chip that is implanted mm -hmm. into their their brain or their mm -hmm. eyes i don't know whatever um but it translates whatever the eye receives and like you can watch it digitally and mm -hmm. you can go back in time sort of like everything that you experience with your eyes is like recorded mm -hmm. and like the audio as well but anyway it's very very interesting that there's a couple that is having sex oh and by the way when they're revisiting memory their eyes go cloudy mm -hmm. so they, they, they don't seem normal they're having sex and their eyes are cloudy yeah yeah. They're not really with each other. They're no. with their memories no. or they're with yeah. their fantasies. Like they're yeah. too busy to have sex yeah. uh, because they're, you know, having sex with their fantasies. And it seemed to me kind of similar to this. Like there's this sort of like impasse between, you know, th that doesn't allow for a yeah. sexual relationship yeah. to be fulfilled. And it is a very, it's a very clear um, expression because the threesome isn't really an expression. I mean, it, within the threesome and the idea of like a more courtois and um, Rene Girard talks about it a lot. Mimetic desire, a kind of a, 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 um, a competitive desire for 
an object uh, creates desire in yeah. you know the other whatever. But the 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 hologram, yeah, it's a really it's a really good uh, depiction of this idea of supplemental fantasy. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I know sex is a kind of crazy, interesting, weird topic. And as you say, it's it's a realm that we. And I think this is the reason why you know Freud. It's a realm that expresses all this, the supplementality, the excess of being a person. And it's not because humans are just, oh, we're so, we've got this, uh, well, obviously we have an id, but, you know, we're like monkeys who just want to have sex all the time yeah. and everything's about sex. It's like, it's kind of the opposite. Yeah. Um, I don't actually remember, and you might you might be able to clarify this, but I don't remember if in the movie mm-hmm. anybody else can see joy or if it's only him. I know that I at some point... I can because... I know that at some point the the woman breaks the emanator because like yeah, okay, yeah. so she so joy is projected through uh, yeah, like a projector, uh, some she, kind of projector yeah. but he buys an upgrade <laughs> and then I don't know if she then is like a hologram but only for him. No, like, I think they can. I God, I'm not. I actually watched this last week. Is there a scene where love talks to her? Oh God, I I'll love you. <laughs> that actress <laughs> is so good for yeah, that role. So good. So yeah. creepy. I, I honestly can't remember, but yeah, there's a scene also where the, the like um, the advert for Joy. Yeah, because yeah, so Love gonna... works for the company, the corporation, w- yeah, w- uh, Weinstein or <laughs> Weinstein. <laughs> what is it called? Um, uh, oh God! I well, can't anyway, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> details, details. <laughs> yeah. um, so she's aware of what an emanator is, mm-hmm. but she doesn't ever like. I don't think that anybody ever talks directly to Joy. Do you know what? I, I honestly can't answer that question. So yeah. it won't. Uh, well, anyway, it it almost doesn't matter. But I think yeah. that it becomes like a part of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, so he's getting closer to being yeah. like a human being because he's yeah. not interacting with like a physical hologram. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, you know, kind of Pinocchio in mid-process or whatever. But... Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the... Uh, I actually never I never read Northern Lights as a child. But I'm a bad person. But they, yeah, they have the diamond. I think that's like animal supplement is part of them. But that's obviously yeah. not a social <laughs> thing. But anyway, I don't know why it made me think of that. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. The other thing that I think that we should touch on mm-hmm. is the theme of apocalyptic films. Yes. Yes. Dystopia. Why? You answered this so well last time. I think it's a really great point. Why? we are so interested in seeing dystopian futures mm-hmm. in film. Why there's something pleasurable about seeing a dystopian future rather than just a normal future. Yeah. And your, yeah, your insight was really good. Well, no, I'm indebted to like Mark Fisher and Fred Jameson for this, but I think that the basic idea is that since we are unable to articulate, well, the, the, whole thing, the whole thing that I think Fisher's trying to get at is that there used to be a moment mm-hmm. or some kind of pocket in which we could dream of the future and uh, sort of uh, design it mm-hmm. in a sense. And But now with the conditions of labor that I think that we'll talk more and more yeah. of throughout the podcast, but um, the, the future is canceled yeah. in a sense. Yeah. Oh, by the way, there's also this uh, Bifo Berardi, I think is a philosopher Italian that I... Oh, I right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's actually the guy that mentioned like the whole... That exact phrase, like the, the future's canceled, or the slow cancellation of the future, and um, yeah, I think that there's something about 
dystopian films that are sort of a relief or an escape yeah from having to articulate exactly. a future because it's almost like uh, uh it's confirming us. phenomenologically impossible to yeah. articulate the possibility of an alternative yeah it's like um it's comforting mm-hmm. to be confirmed in the idea that it's all going to shit yeah but there's no other there's no alternative you know if we if we're confronted with a positive future it kind of confronts yeah. us with the fact that we must take action in the sure. present yeah. to change and it, we can't yeah we're we always so can't we're so entrapped yeah we're so within the shit reality of, mm-hmm. of our lives that we, you know the our, our enjoyment has been reduced to not an escape from it for, mm-hmm. but from a destruction of it mm-hmm and I think that that's why dystopian uh, films have become like so prevalent. And yeah. another thing that we talked about last time was that. So they're comforting rather than frightening, basically, is the insight. Yeah. 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 They're extremely comforting. And another thing, it, it's almost like I think that watching a dystopian film mm-hmm. is maybe the same enjoyment that you get from that is the same enjoyment that you get from giving up. So you give oh, up. So being a, cynical. No, not being cynical, but just sort of like, I mean, I think that you experience this when you're like up to some kind of task that you don't really want to do because mm-hmm. it's really hard. And then you give up on it or it goes away for some reason. Mm-hmm. And there's some enjoyment that comes from that. Well, I don't know if this because I almost think that, well, resignation is an interesting word. There's the idea in Christianity of grace, accepting that you're accepted. Uh, it's the z- step zero in uh, the 12 steps. Alcoholics Anonymous, you resign, you accept the current situation. And almost, you know, the example of alcoholism, the denial that you have a problem is almost what creates the problem. Mm -hmm. So resignation in the sense of accepting they're accepting and giving up can be an extremely positive thing. So I don't know, because I kind of, I see this dystopian reality in film as like the opposite of that almost. Because almost resignation is what has to happen before any real action can be taken. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And mm-hmm. I think this this goes back to the idea of like, uh, think, don't act. Mm-hmm. But I don't necessarily think that that's what uh, dystopian films are doing. Yeah, I think it's kind of the opposite. Dystopian films are like, are you saying that there could be a transformative uh, possibility in dystopian films by no, no i'm saying that because there is no alternative yeah you know people sort of find comfort in the idea of destruction rather than yeah i mean there's definitely like death drive yeah it is but it is sort of like a resignation or a surrender that is enjoyable yeah because I, I think there's there are two different things the kind of accepting that you're acceptant accepted or accepting the problem and then if resignation is the right word but like no exit type of resignation versus an open door resignation i don't know yeah there is something there's something very yeah this is a perfect segue because yeah yeah, so there's something very nice about oh there's nothing i can do about it so what Mm -hmm. and i feel like within capitalism yeah that 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 happens a lot of people um well there's protests that are part of capitalism itself and then there's kind of like a language just acceptance and going on with it but i almost feel that acceptance can be the point of absolute change as well but i think mm-hmm. you're saying something different no no i think that's right it, yeah. it's it's the giving up is i think that what you're talking mm-hmm. about the resignation and obviously that's enjoyable mm-hmm. because it's hard work i think 
to have to articulate some kind of yeah change is like horrible it's 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 a hard work and i think this is one of the other things and i think it's a great segue to it um and you don't agree with me okay. well, or actually i think that maybe at the at the end we agreed but anyway Maybe about millennials being yeah, talentless yeah, yeah. so I about know, I, millennials i'm very like i'm very defensive well i mean <laughs> i'm it, it's not like it's, the, it's not some kind of statement that makes mm-hmm. me happy obviously there's something very tragic about mm-hmm. it and i don't necessarily think it's a choice Mm-hmm. that millennials have it's you know sort of like a question that is already mm-hmm. answered but um yeah i think that i heard well i heard somebody say that millennials are the least talented generation and mm-hmm. I, when i heard it i was like really put off by it i didn't like mm-hmm. it but i started to think about it and you know one of the if you're upset about something is probably because yeah, it's, it's there's some, some kind of, of degree of affect truth in you. yeah 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 definitely and i think that there is something about this idea of the future being canceled mm-hmm. that affects art yeah, and creativity absolutely. in a way that they millennials what they want to do mm-hmm. and what they have been doing mm-hmm. is repeating the past yeah. so you know we were just it talking is. the other day about like a you know weezer is doing covers yeah. of like toto i don't get i don't get that up roy orbison say, or whatever yeah. Yeah. yeah and also you know i have a few friends that like they're really into just making music that sounds 80s or 70s or and you know it's sort of like this exercise Mm -hmm. and futility of Mm -hmm. like you know nothing is next yeah well i have loads of things to say in response to that and i wonder whether the term talented is not the right one i feel like the the um millennial generation is potentially like the most accomplished within the meritocratic parameters of capitalism i just want to say one caveat before we go on about this discussion is when we're saying you know millennials all this stuff has happened to millennials that doesn't mean that we are like as a millennial class we must Mm -hmm. and i feel like this is this is like the logical fallacy of identity politics that so as a millennial things have been there are certain contingent factors that have affected the generation but it doesn't mean that every millennial xyz and therefore every millennial must it's just a an insight that we just must consider um Mm -hmm. yes anyway so yeah i feel like we were brought up in say the 90s when we had wealthier parents and childhood became a commodity so academic achievement in childhood was so i remember the, you know are you doing enough things for your for your resume when you go to college are you doing enough charity work are you do you have enough sporting achievements are you good at music in a way that my parents generation was just go and play in the garden there's also i don't know if it's the same in mexico but there's been this received wisdom throughout the ages that every generation is getting stupider and that oh now exams are so much easier so we have all these public exams in the uk at 16 17 and 18 yeah bullshit and they would say that oh well and now students 20 percent get a stars therefore it all must be easier and in the past if you got to see it was a good grade no i i don't think they've got stupider mm-hmm. people have become better at taking tests and more quote unquote educated and more sacrifices made by the student to achieve high grades there's so much anxiety amongst gen z and i think it's getting even worse also i I wonder if you think i mean you you know about more about like the whole academic world Mm -hmm. but it's like haven't tests gotten harder ever since google is a thing sorry haven't tests and exams or whatever gotten harder now that google is a thing well yeah no this is the thing i do i i i definitely don't think that it's got easier um but i think now 
the just what is required to be normal. Now, it's something I don't know if the statistics is right, but I heard like sixty-seven percent of students in America go to college. That that level of achievement for what the reality is of work in the real world. So to get a given job, one must be so much more competitive. Mm-hmm. This inflation, it's not a grade inflation, it's an inflation of what is required. And I i have to say that I personally at college worked so, so hard that I basically had a nervous breakdown at about 22. And I am not alone. I know so many people who are very much within the system who almost killed themselves for academic success, believing that that was going to be some guarantor in the or to buy oneself out of the of the capitalist system if I kill myself now but actually for instance a friend of mine's dad uh runs a law firm in London he told me that they when I just graduated they didn't recruit students from Oxford and Cambridge in the UK so these are the kind of the pinnacle of academic achievement because the students from those universities were worse employees because they were so burnt out from the start so we are almost beyond we have we, there's no I'm not, I don't like the word balance but there's so much of an excess focus <laughs> I don't like the word balance I don't like the word balance it has a B and an L and it's just offensive to me no, you know what I mean I don't like this whole conversation no, no, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. because I think there's it's a dialectic to everything it's so thing, yeah. it's complicated but yeah so in terms of talent I'm sure millennials are excellent musicians and horse riders and have high grades and well read and Mm-hmm. But yeah, it doesn't make us talented. But then talking about production of art and being the possibility of being artists and the future being cancelled in relation to art and also formulating an alternative, often alternatives imagine the youth. Yeah. Look at the 60s, 70s. One could be an artist in a squat in New York and you're in the cultural heart and you don't, you're not paying rent and you're living this very grimy, gritty experience. But in this less than zero point that millennials are in, it buys you, you become like a slave. Not only are you a participant, a participant in the system, you are a slave of the system. Yeah. Debt makes one enslaved. And one of the ways that capitalism has managed to continue despite the antagonisms within it for so long is finding a new way to indebt people. So credit cards, mortgage, car payments, student loans. I mean, the statistic in the UK, the average... Uh, 20-something earns £8,000 less than their parents did. And the average wage in the UK in your 20s is like low £20,000. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the drop is enormous. Yep. Plus the average um, graduate in the UK, I have read somewhere, I don't know if it's the correct statistic, has more student debt than the average individual in America. Mm-hmm. Plus the fact that there's no kind of um, speculative way to make money like houses for baby boomers. <laughs> so all these factors entrap to such an extent that these young people can't even create, can't even protest the system. Sure. So I don't know if the talent is the right word, but frustrated might be a word, the most most artistically frustrated generation. Yeah. And we should be a generation that's producing amazing things, given the accomplishments and the trained... But it's all going towards uh, sort of like living rather than creating. just surviving. And... I'm not saying this is the only way to be able to... Subsistence. To subsist, to um, be an artist as a millennial. But there are very capitalistic ways. Mm -hmm. And often one has to consciously or unconsciously identify oneself as an... As an... You were talking about identity politics. Mm -hmm. As a woman artist or as a... No, 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 no. But in my mind, that's just participating. You know, this... One could argue that 
identity politics is emergent of capitalism itself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, rather mine, than just be an artist. Yeah. A friend of mine sent me a link the other day. I didn't even open it. I was kind mm -hmm. of upset when he sent it. <laughs> Not at him, but just like... Was that the one you forwarded me on text? The Facebook thing? Was it? No, 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 no. no. This, was, this was a... Maybe last month. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, he sent me this this message. And, you know, he's a, he's a really good guy, a great guy, a great friend of mine. But he sent me this, this, this link that was like... Uh, a plant-based diet mm -hmm. that will help mm -hmm. the environment mm -hmm. sort of like survive or yeah. whatever like the, the, the yeah the, like soylent thing whatever. Yeah, yeah yeah and it's like i was like this is exactly the problem the yeah. problem is that we have to resort to mm. self-policing yeah and yeah. policing others yeah. and like creating more strict mm -hmm. rules mm -hmm. in the way that we live like yeah. limiting our freedom whatever freedom that mm -hmm. we have uh, even more mm -hmm. so that we feel a sense of control because a sense yeah, of like our sense of agency yeah. has been completely taken I know, away one ideologically I, yeah. and economically and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know this it's absolutely almost this lack of a democratic social consensus of looking out for the other or having a family that can take care of you or having time to be able to care for each other results in and we were talking about delineation somebody saying as an as a person of xyz all these factors together these limitations of oneself rather than a universality of having the time and resources to take care of each other um yeah you're absolutely right self-policing and i have heard i'm not saying that i'm necessarily against veganism and i think there's plenty of times when it can be useful for people but it, it's co-opted as an ideological eating disorder and eating disorders can be a lot of for example i was at a boarding school and the percentage of girls who have eating disorders in boarding schools where you are your own self you have no unconditional love you must self-police and it's all about the only kind of recognition that one gets or quote-unquote love is when one achieves something in a in a boarding school when you're kind of yep. removed from your parents and just put in pure school yeah. And eating disorders is a big result of that. Yeah. Self-policing, self-control. Yeah, yeah. And more than, and what I told my friends, like more than, I think it's more than 70% of carbon mm -hmm. emissions happen because of uh, non-regulated companies that are mm -hmm. just like completely destroying yeah. the environment. Absolutely, yeah. And, and it's just like, you know, okay, yeah, you can try to do the whole plant-based mm -hmm. thing. But, and the thing, the, the sad thing about it is just that like, you get to feel like if you're doing something mm -hmm. when Absolutely. the reality is that most of the... And it can be a way of actually not taking real action in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know... It's one of these things like co-opted by capital. Absolutely. I know this this encroachment of... And, it's, and policing is another way, you know. And certain uh, forms of protest movements have been co-opted by capitalism. And it's a way almost... You know, you have these these corporations that aren't paying tax so something like amazon in ireland or whatever i mean ireland's just a country that i know or apple in ireland and they have these very woke adverts and it's almost like a way of dangling we are the goodies in front of us and then just doing things that hundreds of years ago at a time that we look back on and we think is a really fascistic time the 1800s or whatever yeah. breaking laws that were in process then but oh no we're nice we give extra charity or oh we're nice we we allow it's funny there's a there's a kind of a hipster ice cream shop in in uh, la but it's not in portland and the irony is it's funny because it uses an ingredient that would be illegal in europe 
this like moss that you put in dairy products in America to like okay. creamify it. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, not so organic now. But um, <laughs> they had a sign in 2016 on their on their window that was like, we welcome gay people, people of color, women, oh, yeah. trans people, dogs, anything, you know, to, it's like, yeah, well, of course you do to spend money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, it'd be, it's a brilliant way. And Amazon, just the way they treat their employees, having to wear nappies to go to work. Apple, people throwing themselves off buildings. Globalization is a great way to to hide the antagonisms of capitalism, just ship them off elsewhere, the cobalt in our phones from poor children in Congo. But, oh, it's a woke a woke company because oh it's tech and oh silicon valley and oh meditate at the workplace and oh no no it's brilliant yeah i think i think i told you this uh i sent you this this link uh last month i think by uh walter ben michaels okay he did an interview for yakmin mm-hmm. and uh oh, yeah what he was talking about is just like you know I think it's. I think actually the article we can put a link to it. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, let them eat diversity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's such a good, yeah. yeah. And we don't. You and, know, and but I mean, the, that's it, not to say that diversity isn't necessary and a brilliant thing. But it's it's yeah, been co-opted. It's, it's been co-opted, and it depends on how you're looking at mm-hmm. diversity mm-hmm. that can really mm-hmm. backfire. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I think the main thing of the article was like. What are we fighting for? Yeah. Are we fighting for diversity just because there is a sort of like antagonistic uh, relationship that we have to our own identities mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter as much? Or are we fighting just for equal opportunity for exploitation? Exactly. So I mean, depending yeah. on if you're a, a woman or mm-hmm. if you're black or Hispanic or whatever, uh, like, do you just want in on the exploitation? Like, is yeah, that- and one could argue that it's all very well, you know, some privileged person having these critiques that they've been on the inside or whatever and you know now it's our turn but yeah do you want to replace the seats at the table or just turn over the table and it's much easier to you know a protest is a non-dialectical no it requires within it the structure of the system is protesting in order to exist it's like a parasite of the system Mm -hmm. whereas a dialectical no is something that goes right into the grit and grime of the system itself to change it radically Mm -hmm. and when you have um for instance, there's a women's club in New York that costs thousands of dollars a, a year to, to be part of. And it's you know very expensive. It's a place where you go to uh, to work and you spend loads on your avocado toast and you uh, meet other like-minded women and you um, network, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If that's what feminism has become, mm-hmm. I just, I despair. <laughs> yeah. As in some people who have, people have thousands of dollars a year to spare and live in a cultural center of New York that costs, is extortionate to live in. You know, lucky you. Mm-hmm. Lucky you. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, Thanks I don't, for the data, yeah. I don't think that's, I don't, that, that's not radical and it's definitely not any kind of, <laughs> you know, certainly being a woman's not easy, but being a man's not easy either. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, there's certain things that certainly in America would be beneficial to women, but uh, like, I just... No. Yeah, but it's funny so, you. Sorry, yeah. No, <laughs> you were talking about feeling guilty um, about going to like expensive restaurants, but it's almost like you know that kind of um, feeling of uh, anger at oneself is symptomatic at this. And when you you know you have twenty six people who own half the world's wealth, and you have corporations mm-hmm. doing ter- going and having an expensive meal, yeah. it's not it's not something that's like True. yeah. No, and the, think- the privatization of the banking, yeah, yeah. 
I just yeah yeah and I think it's it's I mean it's really sad that people don't see sort of like uh, I mean you know I, people people see sort of like Venezuela for mm -hmm. example and whatever their idea mm -hmm. their political ideas might, might represent um, as sort of like poverty mm -hmm. and it's not that we're choosing poverty mm -hmm. over like yeah. extreme inequality but that's precisely what hasn't been able to be yeah, articulated this, uh, by, yeah. yeah, but exactly. And hopefully someone like Bernie Sanders can. But yeah, this, I was actually talking to a friend about this very thing, this this lumping together. And the funny, I think we might have mentioned it earlier today, there's been a real lumping together of terms. You know, liberalism does not mean what it meant before. Mm -hmm. Le left, when people say, oh, left about a person in America, I immediately know, mean, know that they mean like, absolute conservative who happen, happens to talk about identity politics. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, very, the funny thing is, well, you know, we're, not, we're not at a point that they were in 1917 in Russia where the poorest country in Europe that was a feudal state had just come out of losing World War I and being a, uh, coming out of a civil war and having fantastic... Um, problems of distribution and having a life expectancy of basically 30 we're not talking about that anymore mm -hmm. certainly not in the west and we're also not talking about things that are that extreme when someone like when someone talks about a 70 percent marginal tax rate <laughs> it's almost like the idea the, the american dream in america we're talking about this in terms of la la land that this desire not to have a 70 percent marginal tax rate is because there is a some kind of unconscious belief of participants in capitalism that they might be one of those people that one day that might affect because they might be rich and so you know they don't they want that a possibility but yeah. again we're talking about acceptance acceptance versus resignation you know acceptance that's not going to be the case that's where change comes from yeah, yeah what is this whole kind of like fetishization of extreme wealth because don't people get super excited for example when like an avatar movie comes out or an avengers movie or whatever mm -hmm. like people get so excited it's like i hope i really hope that this movie makes more than you know four billion dollars or whatever like how well i mean how do people just like i mean they, they make a game out of it and it's yeah. like sort of like in enjoying their own estrangement from a world that they most likely will not be a part of but it's funny because yeah when you when you talk about those figures billions it's almost not real and the straight you know the estrangement you feel when you don't you can't even conceive of that number so it's not a real thing i don't think it means what it really means I yeah so you think that this infatuation is sort of like trying to be in on something that is completely ununderstandable for somebody yeah. that's making 40 60,000 dollars a year mm, 27,000 27,000 or 16,000 yeah, yeah. okay yeah yeah um was there anything else in the movie that we forgot to talk about i don't know i feel like this is a really it's a heated one i yeah <laughs> it raises a lot of issues and um, it is important. I think, you know, it, it points to why we felt it important to add our tiny, insignificant voices to the um, to this form of argumentation because, yeah, I mean, when you actually talk about the realities and the tragedy of how... how kind of almost close we are to some real change, but how that can all be lost in a moment of misunderstanding and of of co-opting of ideas and yeah, when you kind of lump Bernie Sanders together with something like Venezuela, like, yeah. you no, know, it's not even. Like, I, I'm not an expert at all on what's going on in Venezuela, but I'm sure it has 
less to do with quote unquote socialism than to do with cronyism than to do mismanagement. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's um, I think it's and little... it's, it's it's just interesting that people are. But yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, is would we have been in the state if Bernie had won in twenty sixteen? But I mean, maybe the person who won in twenty sixteen is all the more reason why Bernie will win in twenty twenty. Okay. Yeah. I really appreciate the fact that like our episodes are like big Freudian slips because every single time that we're going to start an episode we're like we're just like like maybe not we'll keep it not political we'll give shit, it a- yeah no, I remember that but the funny <laughs> thing is I wouldn't say okay I where I I think we come down on the I mean, just, we're not very the just politi- think we're not very act. political anyway we're no. like we don't really talk about politics so for, I mean for some reason they just come up in the, in the episodes yeah but. well we're, we're polite we don't talk about sex and politics we don't <laughs> talk about sex a lot um, no but and we talk, the funny thing is we talk about sex in like a theoretical way. So we talk about politics in a theoretical way mm-hmm. rather than actually like, oh my God, let's yeah, go Yeah, we're not endorsing anybody. We're just like saying that there's certain like m- theoretical or ideological motifs that come up. Uh, yeah, and I, I would just say that when one is of a certain ideological perspective, then certain things just make sense. But again, there's nothing necessarily wrong with being conservative and almost a conservative one could argue is a more honest position than liberal. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, there you go. Maybe that was too, too, um, no, 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 no. I, I, yeah. I completely agree with you. I think that's, I think that's right. The thing is that, isn't there a way in which identity politics from, from liberalism, mm-hmm. um, it's just too particular like it's it's way too particular and it used to be that universal sort of uh, the, the possibility of a universality belonged to the left or and now yeah. it's not like that anymore it's sort of been like well, divided into like you things. see the um the reason why i think we said in previous pod- podcasts that you know liberal and conservative are two we're well, not even concerned it's a type of conservative, a two sides of the same coin. They, they play identity politics on both sides, and that the critic. I was actually watching yesterday on YouTube. There's a critique that um, Hillary Clinton was making this year of Bernie Sanders and this idea of the Bernie bro. It's like these generalized critiques one throws at each side. And when you say a term, oh, it encompasses oh this kind of person, this kind of person, this kind, and you immediately throw everything out. I think it's, it's from like a a, a lack of a democratic social consensus where you can be with your fellow man and actually you have you're a member of a society rather than completely out for yourself and then also a a lack of ability to express oneself or to 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 want to hear another position but you know i think this is comes back to the dystopia it's more comforting to be absolutely sure in your position that there's no other alternative yeah than to actually be open to the idea that change is possible. Yeah, definitely. I absolutely mm-hmm. agree. So, great film, right? We, yeah, well, I don't know how much... Yeah, maybe we should uh, just spend like one minute at the end saying how artistically fantastic this film is. Tell me about... You were telling me about the um, the score. You were talking oh, to composer, Samia. Yeah, yeah uh, so Johan Johansson died, I think, last year. And mm. uh, yeah, it was really sad. I think he was one of the few composers of really doing something that was like it's a bit it, it packed a big punch i think mm. it was it was he was doing stuff that was very sort of like unusual yeah or and it's interesting that he when he died he got sort of replaced by 
one of the guys that is maybe kind of doing something that is kind of you know good things but mm -hmm. at the same time just very sort of like familiar so he had composed um the score and for whatever reason his school didn't fit yeah, well think, and so they yeah. yeah i think villeneuve decided to go with uh well i think it's um Hans Zimmer mm -hmm. together with uh, Benjamin Wallfish so and right. they did the soundtrack it's okay yeah um, I, I didn't think it was like the greatest thing yeah. but yeah. Uh, they only had a few months yeah. to do it anyway so yeah. um, I definitely yeah. yeah had echoes of the original school but I didn't yeah it didn't stand out to me as anything like yeah yeah I, th I think if they would have done something like kind of similar to Arrival mm -hmm. like what they what they what he did for Arrival mm -hmm. was like amazing mm -hmm. or even for Sicario it was like very good oh, uh, I love them. You, what you, you grew up in Ciudad Juarez. Yeah, right? yeah. I grew up in Juarez and El Paso. Uh, I think ever since I was like from like five to. We should do an episode on Sicario. Fourteen, fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. We should also maybe do a Black Museum from Black Mirror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, we should it, do it an episode. And we should do Thomas Crown Affair '90s version. Rennie Rousseau. Oh yeah, style. Well, that I remember my mom seeing that icon. film when I when I was growing up. Yeah, but yeah. I, I I've never seen it. Yeah. It's funny because I uh, I probably saw it when I was like nine years old or something. And there's a scene where she comes in with this like green juice and like, Argh. and I remember <laughs> thinking like how weird. Then I totally became one of those people that's like green juice. Oh, they, I don't drink any of that stuff now. There was a period of my time when yeah. I was just like down spiralina. <laughs> yeah, but she does. Oh, she her. Her clothes in that film, so good. Like, something like <laughs> crap about 90s style, but also like, really compelling. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, anyway. so I think that was that was about it, right? Um, I think so. That from, from my notes that I jotted down briefly, I think we covered everything. All right. And, uh, but we didn't really... Well, this film, this film, sorry, this, this uh, podcast isn't about critiquing on an artistic level. So, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Sounds we good. did the job. Okay. Alrighty. Goodbye. Bye.